Let's give the Graceful Praise and Hawaiian Praise Ministries another round of applause. Thank God for their expressions of worship. Well, Pastor Herman Hamilton is not with us today. Uh, he met with the elders over the weekend, and, uh, but he will be with us again next weekend. But we are blessed this morning to have the Reverend Sarai Crane Pope to minister God's word to us. And as many of you know, for more than six years, uh, Reverend Sarai ministered uh, here at Abundant Life uh, in a number of capacities. She was pastor of our ministry involvement team. Uh, and then uh, for three years, I believe, pastor of our singles ministry. She's spoken uh, at many uh, women's events and uh, is a very gifted uh, Bible teacher. And so we're blessed to have her in her first uh, capacity here at Abundant Life as guest speaker and preacher. And so let's warmly welcome the Reverend Sarai Crane Pope. Good morning. Hi, family. It's good to be in the house this morning. Yes, yeah, still morning time. So really, really glad to be here. It's always um, wonderful to be among my friends and family. I love you dearly and love this church. So I was very grateful for the invitation. So to that end, I'd like to uh, thank and acknowledge our elders and our teaching pastor. Um, I'm not sure if any of our elders are present. I thought I saw maybe Pastor Toby a little spotting, but um, one, a, a couple of our elders have, have just been really, really um, supportive, all of them, in terms of this weekend. So I just want to thank God for them and um, to our teaching pastor, Pastor Herman, um, for his support in this time as well. Um, I understand that they have been away um, seeking God uh, to figure out how to serve this um, congregation more effectively. And so we just want to affirm them and we'll lift them up in prayer before it comes time for the message. But I definitely want to thank and praise God for Pastor Eric. Thank you so much for that invitation. He was my first boss and he was a great boss. I thank God for that. Thank God for you. We had an opportunity to, to really connect. And um, I was just so grateful that he was my supervisor. Glory to God. And um, did I see any of my other uh, fellow pastoral staff? I'm not sure if I can actually see you, but I do thank God for you. Oh, there's my brother, Pastor Marcus. Thank you so much. Oh, and Jeannie and the kids. Thank you so much. Good to see you guys. Small family, guys. Um, I definitely just thank God for you and uh, your support. Um, I want to acknowledge my wonderful husband, um, Benjamin Pope. I was about to say Pastor Benjamin. Uh, Pastor's husband, um, Benjamin Pope. We're newlyweds, praise the Lord, working on 10 months of holy matrimony. Thank you, Jesus. A wonderful change has come over me. Hallelujah. Thank you, baby. I do love you. And to all my co-laborers in Christ, I do thank God for you and uh, for your love and support in this time. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll see what the Lord has for us. Gracious and loving God, we thank you so much for uh, this time together. And God, we thank you for this um, church. We thank you for abundant life and all that you're doing in and through it. Lord, we uh, trust that your hand rests upon this ministry. And so we want to lift to you um, these men of God that you've assembled to lead uh, this, this church. And so we want to lift up our elders and Pastor Herman, Lord. We know that their time together um, 
was tied up yesterday, but we trust that you are still speaking to them and speaking to their hearts and pouring out harmony and unity amongst them, Lord. And so we just pray that you will continue to order their steps in your word and that you will lead them and guide them as they endeavor to lead and to guide us, God. We pray uh, for this time in your word, this hour, Lord. We trust you that there is a message from you. My prayer, God, is that you would use me as your instrument, God, and say what you want to say to this people at this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I understand that um, we have been in a series entitled uh, Discovering Jesus um, the Great I Am, and Pastor Herman let me know that uh, he had done two installments of that message um, or that series, and um, I would have loved to have been a part of that series, but I believe there is another message that God has given uh, to us for today. So I'm going to ask that you stand as we read the word, and I'm going to be in Isaiah chapter 38, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. Now, we are uh, definitely fully and officially all into the holiday season. So you may be thinking, why are we reading in uh, a book of the prophets about a king when we need to be celebrating the birth of our Savior? But what I do know about our Savior was that he was born to be a prophet and a king among us. And so it's always appropriate, number one, to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and number two, to read about the history that he knew so well. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 38, verses 1 through 8, if you have it, say amen. If you need some more time, say hold up. Amen. I'll be reading out of the New International Version of the Bible, and it reads as such. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order. Because you are going to die, you will not recover. Hezekiah turned to the wall and prayed to the Lord, turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord the God of your father, David, says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of Assyria. I will defend this city. This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. Verse 8. I will make the shadow cast by the sun go back the 10 steps. It has gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. So the sunlight went back the 10 steps. It had gone down. May the Lord add a blessing to the hearing and reading and doing of his word. You may take your seats as we contemplate the theme, wisdom from the weary. Wisdom from the weary. So I want to share a story of a man. He gets up, writes a note, gets in his car, drives to a bridge, Approaches the brink, mounts it, considers the cold, dark waters, and jumps to his death. Another man, similar age, wakes up, 
drives to a bridge, approaches the brink, considers the dark, chilly waters. He mounts and he jumps. But he does not die. Because he has been snatched up by the bungee cord that was harnessed around his waist. So one man approaches a bridge with no hope. The other man approaches the bridge with full confidence. One man approaches the bridge with no answers and no possible way out. While the other man approaches the bridge with wonder and full trust that he will be sustained by that which is harnessed around his body. We will all approach situations in our lives. And many of us have found ourselves on the bridge and on the brink of destruction. But the difference between the one that will jump to their death and the one that will jump and be snatched up is that the individual that has a hope and trust in a God that will keep and sustain him will bring him back from the pits of darkness. Sometimes the situations that we find ourselves in leave us weary and we find ourselves hopeless and at the point of quitting. So I'd like to spend some time looking at this text as we consider King Hezekiah as a case study for looking at what it means to be someone who has served and someone who has been faithful and yet they found themselves weary and at the point of death. Is that all right? So when we get to chapter 38 of of, um, Isaiah's book, um, we'll see this same story in Chronicles and we see the same story in the book of Kings. And we know that um, the nation of Israel as we know it, this once very powerful nation who God has favored and has seen victories and miraculous signs and wonders and deliverance from our God, um, feared by the nation surrounding them, has now become a nation divided. So we've got the southern kingdom and we've got the northern kingdom. The, the, the northern kingdom is comprised of ten tribes and that, that has been known as the nation of Israel. And the two tribes of the southern kingdom represent Judah. And we see Hezekiah is a king of the nation of Judah. Now, um, I want to go back to the fact that this nation has become divided. They once were children that were 100% submitted and revered and relied on the hand of God Almighty, but they started to mimic the very enemies that they had dominion over what what had happened was they ended up um, modeling after or behaving as though the the enemies that they had had acted so like with the Assyrians they were brutal they were godless they served false gods they um, propped up all these images in complete disrespect and disregard to God Almighty and then you have the nation of God's people starting to imitate the very people that God had given them victory over now how is that uh, relevant because many times if we find ourselves in the same neighborhood as an individual we end up looking and smelling more like them than being the influence that we've been called to be and so Tommy Tenney says in his book the God Chasers he says whoever and whatever is 
exposed to the manifested presence of God begins to absorb the very material matter of God. I would like to suggest that whoever and whatever is exposed to the manifested presence of evil will begin to absorb the very material matter of evil. So now you have this nation that God has richly blessed and, and sustained. You know your history. I mean, if you're not gone and, you know, spend some time in your word, you'll see how God has shown incredible um, force and victory. And now they acting like the people that they came to need to submit to them. And so Hezekiah, we see, has been um, modeling his ministry and his reign after God's heart. The scriptures say that Hezekiah was a son of David. And we know King David to have been a man after God's own heart. We know he wasn't a perfect king, but we know that he was a king who loved to worship. We know that he was a king who endeavored in all things to do the will of God. And when he wasn't perfect, he knew how to lay before him and have some real conversations as we've read in the book of, of Psalms. These real conversations that he's had with God. And even in, in his troubles, he always had a worship in his heart. And Hezekiah was a king that was modeled after that level of leadership. Hezekiah's father was not a righteous king. Hezekiah's father, King Ahaz, was an evil, wicked king. And he was cutting deals with Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria at the time. And he was into false worship. King Hezekiah came and he tore down the Asherah poles and, and disregarded the, the false gods and, dis, and discarded all of that in an effort to bring the people of Judah back to the Lord. Now that's relevant because we see that this young king, he was only 25 when he took his reign. At this point in our history in chapter 38, he's in his mid-30s. I'm almost in my mid-30s. I'll be technically in my mid-30s in my next birthday, which is next month. So I'm holding on by the grace of God. But anyway, he's a young king. I was just looking, well, it said that the young adult fellowship was 22 to 35. I'm like, oh my God, I won't qualify next year. But anyways, I digress. King Hezekiah was a young king who had served God faithfully, who knew and trusted God Almighty. If you read in your text, you see when he talks about Lord, it's all capital L-O-R-D, Lord, the big God, the main God, the true and wise God, not little G God. He trusted and believed and modeled his leadership after that God. And yet he has gotten sick. And as we see when the prophet shows up, he's not going to recover. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in situations where our um, theology is not lining up with our present reality. Sometimes we find ourselves confused by the curveballs that God has sent our way because we believe that because we've been living right, that things should not be adding up the way that they're adding up. But, you know, God's mathematics doesn't always equal our mathematics. We think very linear. We think A squared plus B squared equals C squared. So, obviously, if I live right and I do this and I serve you and I come to church, that suffering won't take place. But sometimes that's not, what, that's not the, the kinds of equations that were dealt in our own lives. And so here we have a king who has modeled his life after God, who has, has committed himself to worship, and now his reality has contradicted what he has learned about what happens to the righteous. And sometimes we find ourselves there, having to navigate through the intersection of a God who we know and trust and a reality that's painful, confusing, and that breeds a lot of fear.
So we see that Hezekiah has grown weary. And his name, Hezekiah, means the Lord strengthens. So here we have the Lord strengthened, who has grown sick, who has modeled his life after God, and who's a young man, not considering his mortality. And the prophet shows up and tells him, you are going to die. Sometimes bad news gets worse. And that can really throw our theology off. But let's see how he responds. We're talking about wisdom from the weary. And one of the key elements of a lifestyle that's marked with wisdom, as we see modeled here in um, this, this experience with Hezekiah, is succession. Look at your text. If you look at verse, verse 1, when he says... The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Now, implied in the text is Isaiah encouraging him or the Lord through Isaiah encouraging the king to set the succession of his leadership together. The Bible has no record of Hezekiah having a wife or a son that would take the throne. And we know it was customary for the oldest son to be the one who would take the reign of their father. And if there was no son, then the oldest or the next male sibling would be in line for the throne. But the Lord is encouraging through the prophet to tell King Hezekiah that he needs to set his house in order. You're going to need to get the succession of your leadership together. Why? Because you're a righteous king who has stood for the precepts and the truth of God and what you have built, you don't want destroyed by some wicked king coming after you just because they're due for the title after you. Let me take it a little bit closer to home. Many times businesses and organizations and churches, Lord, help me, Jesus, fall because of a failure to have a succession of leadership That would really ensure the success of the organization after a certain individual has been taken out of a certain position. Many times these organizations or 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 churches or businesses, they don't thrive because one individual or personality has maintained all the vision, but didn't stir up the gifts in the individuals that they were managing. John Maxwell calls it the law of duplication in his book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And he says that it is key and critical for an effective, wise leader to pour into themselves their giftings and duplicate themselves in the people that surround them. Maybe you're not, you know, uh, a leader or a big CEO, but you lead a ministry. If God has given you charge over or influence over anybody... God has also called you to sow into their lives, and especially for the younger ones, to stir up the giftings that are on the inside of them. The succession of leadership has been a cardinal fail in the, lifestyle, in the lives of many churches, organizations, businesses, and families. Many families haven't set their, their business and affairs in order. There was a poll that was conducted in 2001 from U.S. Weekly, I think, yeah, U.S. Weekly, that um, determined that 64% of baby boomers in this country, that's people in between the age of 49 and 67, in this country, 64% do not have living wills. So they have nothing that's in order should their untimely death come 
that would make sure that whatever they've worked for, years of working, and there's nothing in order. And I don't know about you, but I've been in ministry long enough to have seen some family act a hot fool after somebody has passed away and the stuff ain't in order. But see, you have a young king who hasn't really considered his mortality. He's in his 30s. And the king, I mean, the prophet, God through the prophet is encouraging him to get his house in order. Many of us, we, we struggle with organizing our lives in a way such that our vision and the things that we have worked for could actually live on if something happens to us. And God help us in the church. It's not about, you know, one personality. It's about God's vision for the body. And so we have to be about the business of stirring up the gifts in the individuals that we've been called to serve and called to lead so that that which we have worked diligently for will continue on when personalities will go. Because people will come and go, they'll die, they'll go sick, they'll fall off. But we need to be about the business of continuing that which God has already started. So succession we see as the prophet has lined up for the king. Get your house in order, it says. That'll preach in and of itself, won't it? But I got to go on. (laughs) Verse 2. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So you've got a righteous king who's already sick. So he's already in a bad situation and it's already turned worse. And it says immediately that Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. It was customary to take a position of standing and turning to a wall to pray. You know the great wall of prayer in Jerusalem. You see all the people standing, their faces are toward the wall to pray. So it was a posture of respect. It was a posture of adoration. And it was customary to do so. And after the righteous king that's had the bad news that's gotten worse, hears that his situation ain't going to get better, he gets up and turns his face to the wall to pray. I wonder, people of God, who do you turn to when bad news shows up at your door? You know, many of us, we turn to our friends. We'll turn to our smartphones. We'll turn to Facebook. We'll turn to food, sex, alcohol. Oh, yeah, in the church, sex, alcohol, herbs, and other non-herbal substances. I know it's right. I've been pastoring a long time. We'll turn to those little addictions. Shopping, gambling, whatever it is that we do to avoid submitting ourselves to the Lord is something that we have used, something that we've employed to ignore him and to submit ourselves. And that's my second point, that a lifestyle marked with wisdom, a key element in it is submission. Because he, in his difficulty, in his darkness, and his impending demise, has turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. And many of us, 
would do so much better if we were committed to turning our face to prayer instead of turning our backs on God. You know, sometimes we get in that situation where our reality isn't matching up with our theology and we get mad at God. And we think we're punishing God by turning our backs on him. Forgetting those things that he has told us. Forgetting that we are to wait on him and to remain faithful to him. We'll turn our backs on God. And many times, and I've seen this and, 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 and observed this in individuals, well, they'll turn their backs on God and be mad at God when it was the individual that allowed a sin pattern in their lives that has created the consequences that they're now dealing with. When really the, the, the answer to that consequence needs to be some repentance. But they won't turn their face to the Lord. They'll turn their backs on God. Who are you going to turn to, church, when bad news shows up at your door? So we see this righteous king who's in a bad situation that has gotten worse. And he's turned his face to the Lord to pray. And I love this prayer because it's so honest. And it tells us that he knows the word of God because he says, remember, O Lord, how I have walked faithfully before you and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. Let me know that Hezekiah has read his text and he knows that there are promises for those who remain steadfast in the will of God. But if you don't know the promises of God, then you can't repeat the promises of God back to him, which is why it is critical that we stay committed to Bible study because you never know when you're going to need to hide some word in your heart and when you're going to need that thing to swell up. And God is so good that when we take his word back to him, that's the only response to taking his word back to him because God can't go back on his promises. Is to do what he said that he would do. So we see this, this, this godly king that has taken this prayer back to his God and is reminding him of what he has done. Now we see the theological tension. I've done what was good. I've walked wholeheartedly before you. I've been faithful. And then it says he wept bitterly. I love that it says that he wept bitterly. Because many of us think that it's not spiritual to weep. And we definitely don't think it's spiritual to be bitter or to weep bitterly. It's uncomfortable sometimes when we are supporting our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, they're struggling emotionally. But you've got to let people, sometimes we just need to get a good cry out. Don't rush people through their grief. Because when we get honest and, 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 and mature enough in our faith, we know that God can handle it. I can cry and be angry and get up and raise my hands to the God who I know still loves me. Amen. Said that he wept bitterly because he's now dealing with some suffering that he didn't think was just for a righteous man. He walked faithfully and with wholehearted devotion. I got licensed to preach when I was 20 years old. I had just started my senior year in college. And, um, you know, I, 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 I had the call. It was strong. Um, I didn't have any choice to run. I know some people said they got called and they ran. I didn't. I could. It was just burning. 
and I surrendered my life and um, knew that I was going to answer the call, said yes to him. And I graduated from college and I was in this ministers and training program, very rigorous. I was at church four or five days a week, no pay. Hello, somebody, no pay. Okay, so I'm in graduate school. I have a mass debt trying to go to seminary so I could be a more effective teacher and leader in the body of Christ. And I've I'm walking in wholehearted devotion, not perfect, but I've submitted and surrendered my life to him. Went through a very rigorous training to become a California certified rape crisis counselor. I'm serving survivors. Um, you know, I'm in this process of ordination. I get ordained. It's a wonderful day. It's a great celebration. Four weeks later, I get raped. Four weeks later, I have walked faithfully before you with wholehearted devotion. I serve the, the, the community of survivors of sexual assault. When I got to the emergency room, the social worker thought that I had a client with me because I had just been there serving somebody else. So not only do I have to deal with the trauma and the terror of what happened to me, now I've got to deal with it being humiliated in the presence of my colleagues and friends. I wept bitterly. How was this supposed to happen to me? This is the community that I serve. I've given my life to you, Lord. And I want to say that some of the least helpful people in my grieving process were church-going Christians. Bible toting, scripture quoting, that grew impatient with the fact that I was weeping and that I was mad and that I was bitter about what happened. But I always maintained a worship in my heart. I was at church every Sunday. I was at church multiple days a week. But see, sometimes good church folk, they don't like to give folks permission. And so we don't end up being safe enough for people to be honest about what they're going through. You know, I don't, I don't beat up on people for, you know, having little cliches and stuff. And I've heard people say, you know, I'm too blessed to be stressed. And the reality is I am blessed and I've been stressed and I've been stressed a lot. I don't know nobody too blessed to be stressed. Give me a break. Stress shows up. Suffering is part of our spiritual heritage. We were never, ever promised a life with no suffering. That's life. What we were promised was a God who would be there, who would cover and sustain and give us the strength to get through it every time. That's what we were promised. And I just love the honesty in this exchange that Hezekiah is having with the Lord. He has now had to deal with the fact that he's got to deal with his succession plan. He has now demonstrated submission in the fact that even when the bad news got worse, he turned his face to the Lord and didn't turn his back on the Lord. And then we see in this next verse, this is so exciting, in this next verse, in verse 4, that Hezekiah demonstrates surrender and acceptance of the situation. So he submitted himself, and now he's demonstrating surrender. And this is what we see the Lord responding to him with. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Everybody put your hands up. Five fingers, five fingers. 
Because what we have detailed in these two, in these, these verses, verses five and six, are five promises from God. I have heard your prayer, which is a word for somebody because you've been praying for a long time and you started to believe that God didn't hear you the first time. God has seen your tears, which is a word for somebody because somebody in this room has been crying and you've been working and you've been laboring and you've been holding on and you didn't believe that God saw it, but he saw it. The text also says that I will add 15 years in your life. Fifteen years. And in the Hebrew, this, this term translates out to not just 15 chronological years, but abundance and fullness and prosperity. That he wasn't just going to give him 15 bad years, but 15 years of a restored life. God will give you restoration. You know, I went through that really difficult time in my life. It was devastating. I feel like I, I walked around you know, with a broken heart for at least 15 to 18 months. But the Lord has so redeemed the tragedy because I've led groups for survivors of sexual assault. I've counseled so many women and men. I have trained clergy on how to respond to women and men so that the same craziness that I experienced won't happen to somebody else. And I've done my dissertation research on this, and that's what I'm working on now. So God not only restored my heart, gave me a nice, fine, wonderful husband. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. He restored my heart, but he's also redeemed the tragedy. God has heard. God will see. God will restore. And then he says, I will deliver you from the hand of the king of Assyria. King Sennacherib had been throwing all kind of shots and been brutal and had all these tactics and had been, you know, keeping the nation of Judah, un- trying to have them under his control. And God has promised Hezekiah that I'm going to deliver the people that have been in bondage. And that's a word for somebody because there's been bondage in your life. Bondage to a certain situation, sin pattern or a way of life. And even for the righteous. You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against power and principalities. And for somebody in here, we've been dealing with a principality that's greater than you. You fasted, you've prayed, you've done everything that you could, but yet this principality still keeps you. God will deliver you. God will deliver. And finally, we see that he says that I will defend. I will defend. You don't have to defend yourself against anybody because God is your vindicator, period. And yeah, many of us have had to hire legal counsel, but can't nobody defend you like the God you serve. He has heard, he has seen, he will restore, he will add, he will deliver, and he will defend. You know, I know that it's the holidays and we're excited about celebrating Jesus and things are festive and everybody is just so exciting and so happy and it's so festive and yet the holidays have a way of making us feel many people even in the body more lonely more despair more darkness and I mentioned this yesterday I forgot to mention it this morning but as we approach the time of celebrating Jesus we're in a season called Advent Spiritual warfare intensifies and we start seeing more sickness, more, you know, fear, more confusion, more loneliness, more difficulty. 
because the, the shifting in the atmosphere spiritually as we celebrate the new coming king. So I know that there's some folks here today that have grown weary. And we can draw from this example, the wisdom from this king, whose name means the Lord strengthens. There is a Hezekiah anointing here today. And maybe you have been feeling weary by the situations in your life. Maybe it's not as elaborate as an organization, but maybe it's your family and you've been wearied by a marriage. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's somebody in your family, a parent, a child. I don't know. God knows. You, you know and God knows. Maybe it's something that has happened. Maybe you've grown weary from serving. You know, serving and serving in ministry can make you weary. The preachers are quiet, but I know there's an amen in your spirit. <laughs> serving can make you weary. Serving in ministry can be a thankless job sometimes. And you waiting on your jewel from heaven. And nobody else is thinking you or acknowledging what you're doing. But God has seen you. Maybe you've grown weary from losing your job. And you've been interviewing over and over and over again. And you've just grown weary from the process. There's encouragement in the house today. And if that is you, I believe that God wants to speak life and hope into your heart right now. So I'd like to ask that you stand at this time. And I'm going to invite that brother or sister who you know that this is your message. I want to invite you to respond. I want to pray for you.